Well, I'm so glad that we didn't show up and have church as usual. It's, uh, this is family. This is, not a, this is not a show. This is family. This is what family does. So it's not a normal week, and it's not okay. It's not okay. Death's not okay. Drinking and driving's not okay. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's not okay. Jesus came to give life and, and to give it more abundantly. So he defeated death. He took the sting out of it, but it still stings, right? So there's hope in the gospel. I'm here to talk about marriage, but God knew that you would need a Barnabas today uh, long before we did. And that's what I am for the Oklahoma Baptist Convention. I am a Barnabas. I'm an encourager. I get to mostly encourage pastors. And Janet and I, uh, have been praying for you, not just for this conference and for this morning, but especially this week. And uh, earlier this week, I got to go to lunch with another a pastor, and, and um, I've been a pastor, pastor of churches for 27 years in Texas and Arkansas and Tennessee uh, before starting a department at Lifeway called Lifeway Pastors. And I've been doing that for the last five years, and we have been in Oklahoma for almost a month. So we are brand new. Janet here, wave Janet. I, uh, I, you saw our picture up there. And Janet and I have been married for 32 years. And some, in the last five years, going around North America, on behalf of Lifeway, we've been doing a lot of marriage uh, events that uh, mostly involve ministry couples, but also others. And we love encouraging them. We hope we encourage you uh, today as well. But I, as, even as we were worshiping and we were praying this morning, I was thinking back about the times when, when um, churches that I've pastored went through the valley of the shadow of death together. And um, it seemed so discouraging at times. But I look back and go, those are, those are the times when a lot of people found Jesus for the first time. I look back and I remember there's sometimes a, a level of, of intimacy happens in small groups and other friendships that didn't happen before. And at the end of the day, we believe in um, a Jesus who resurrected from the dead, who defeated and took the fear out of it. And so today, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but we still grieve, right? So... Um, just wanted to encourage you with those words and know that all over, not just the state, but all over the country, we're praying for, um, for you. Praying for you. And it's okay to hurt. 1 Timothy is where we're headed. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I told you, uh, Janet and I are both native Texans. I grew up in Tyler, Texas, northeast Texas. My parents are still there. I'm a deacon's kid. And Janet grew up in San Antonio, Texas. She's a preacher's kid. And um, I want to know how many preacher's kids there are. Any PKs? Oh, wow. A bunch of PKs in the house. 
Awesome. Now, I want to know, are there any DKs like me? Raise your hand. Deacon's kids. Come on. Smoking section. Right over here and over there. All right. Yeah. Well, if, in, unless you weren't a deacon's kid in the 70s, you, if, you, if you do, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, when they took your money, they went and they counted and smoked and came back and worshiped Jesus. That's how we did it in the 70s. But I love being a deacon's kid, and I am a deacon super fan. Even though I'm a son and grandson of a, a deacon, I jumped over to the other side, found out, got on the spending side of that offering. But anyway, I love deacons and feel like that they are uh, the, the Calvary God sent when the pastors first got overwhelmed. And I saw on your website, leadership. You have your pastors, you have your deacons, just like in the Bible. And this passage of Scripture that we're about to read is addressed specifically to those group of leaders, all right? But the principles apply to everyone. Because everyone in this room that either is married or will be married someday wants to win at home and at work. But your pastors belong to the only profession on the planet where it's required that you do both. And I've asked for the last five years, 20,000 pastors and seminary students, has anyone even heard of another profession besides ours that requires that you win at work and home? And I haven't had one suggestion yet. No one's even heard of one. There might be one out there, but you can pretty much do, do anything and, and, and still win at work, but not at home. But everyone wants to. And all of us uh, who are called to follow Christ are also called to make disciples and to be leaders. And so everything we talk about, both this morning and then later this afternoon, will be with that intention uh, in mind. So let's, uh, let's, let's together read First Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 4 and five. And again, it's talking the context here is about pastors who must manage, pastors manage his own household competently, or your translation may say well, and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? As a, as, a, as a pastor's kid or as a deacon's kid, seeing, um, feeling God's pressing me as a teenager where we make most of our decisions to follow Christ. Most, most make their decisions in those years which vocation they'll be in. And I, I knew I followed Christ first um, at 15 and was called to ministry at 16. But at 16, I didn't go into the job description first and see that my future wife and kids were in it right and I, I didn't even have a girlfriend so I wasn't really looking for that but honestly we we all of us who are going to be in Christian leadership or already are uh, feel some of the weight of that now other professions not so much not so much um, I, I, as it was one of the first couples we went to to dinner with, Janet and I did, just to get, we're getting to know so many new people in Oklahoma, and this one ministry couple from Stillwater, we were having dinner with them, and I remembered something that Janet's mother said to me in the kitchen not too long ago, because I knew that 
her mother grew up in Midwest City, and I knew that she was a Pickens. And so I asked her one time, are you related to T. Boone Pickens? And she said, yes, we're distant relatives, and she just kind of made light of it. And I said, well, that, you know, that's interesting. And, um, and that was kind of it until we were having dinner with this couple because now that we're there, I'm trying to impress them. All right, can I just be honest? I'm, I'm thinking, okay, how can I connect with this couple early in my ministry and impress them? And so they're sitting across the table, and I said, uh, you may not know this, but Janet, who's sitting next to me, Janet is related to T. Boone Pickens. And they're both OSU grads as well. And so uh, the guy, Scott, said, and, and he's, got, he's a little bit older and do, doesn't know how deaf he is. And so his, his voice is a little louder than he realizes. And so across the restaurant, he says to Janet, you're related to T. Boone Pickens? And then his wife, who also graduated from OSU, said this to Janet, echoes him, says, you're related to T. Boone Pickens? And then Janet, sitting next to me, honestly says, who's T. Boone Pickens? <laughs> it's the truth. A little bit of an awkward moment there. So I did a little bit of homework to kind of get some more facts. And uh, she is related. But I, I explained to her that, you know, he's a, you know, a tycoon. It just died back in September at 91. And he, old tycoon, who you guys already know who he is. I mean, it's given a lot of money away. In 2017, he, at the top of his game, was worth $3 billion, but he was 86, so he started giving a lot of it away, and he gave $653 million total to OSU. And so uh, on Thursday, we're speaking to a couple hundred college students at OSU at their BCM about marriage, and this will be her first time and my first time to see that uh, Boone Pickens Stadium. I mean, we've seen it on television, but have not seen it in person, so we're going to get to see it this week. So we really needed to find out who he was, and so I started looking it up this week and, and realized you know, how much money. And then the ranch that he lived on in the Panhandle of Texas was 100, or is 100 uh, square miles. That's 65,000 acres. I've not been there, but everything's for sale. The whole thing was put up for sale before he died for $250 million. But two weeks ago, it was dropped by $30 million. So you can own that ranch for $220 million if you've got it to spare. And with it, you get all the furnishings. You get, you get the homes, and there's plenty of them. You get 40 bird dogs come with that deal. All right? Now, I don't get a commission out of this, and Janet's never... She's never inherited a dime from T. Boone Pickens, so she still doesn't care who he is. But, you know, there's probably some other Pickens who do. But as I look down there, you know, obviously he, he gambled and won a lot, and he gave away a lot. And he was a bigger-than-life personality. But right at the end of his bio, and I went and fact-checked several places to make sure before I mentioned it today, it showed the picture of, the, of, of all the the parts of the ranch and it had pictures of the stadium and other things but then at the end it had his little there's a chapel that comes with it as well a cute little chapel on this 65,000 acre ranch it says where he married his fifth 
wife. And then it said in parentheses, uh, they divorced two years later. So I guess at 88, he just got tired of getting married. And he tagged out and died at 91. Now you can become a rich tycoon and be successful and a philanthropist. You can be famous all over the world. But if you're not also famous at home, you have not won in life. There are a lot of people out there that you look up to and I look up to. and At least you recognize them as celebrities or sports stars or business stars or politicians that can just do so many things. They're so talented, so gifted. But then they have a lot of people inside of their little inner circle that get left behind. You can die without a dime and be an absolute success. But if you're going to do so, you've got to do it according to God's perfect plan. You don't have to do it perfectly, but God's plan is perfect, and it's timeless, and it reaches across this room. So that's what we're going to see as we look today just briefly at the, 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 what, what's required to win both at work, whether your work is church, and at home. Three things that... We see in a mentoring conversation between the Apostle Paul, who started church in Ephesus, and, the, and, and Timothy, who was pastoring that same church uh, a few years later. And he's telling young Timothy, you've got you to manage your home if you're going to manage God's home. And the word manage is the word that's also translated throughout Scripture as lead. In fact, you... You may be familiar with spiritual gifts, and one of the spiritual gifts listed in Romans 12 is the gift of leadership. That's the exact same word. The word uh, when it talks about double honor for pastors, it's for those who lead well, it's the word manage. It's the exact same word. So manage and lead. Lead means to stand before. And so when you lead your home, you are managing your home. So how do you... How do you do that so that your legacy, your legacy will be one of, of winning at home as well as at work? Well, Paul tells Timothy the key to leading your home and leading in your profession is actually starts with leading yourself. The Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. In fact, Paul was famous for run-on sentences. But in chapter 4, later in this conversation, a little bit later, verse 16, he says to, to, to Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 16, he says, this is in the, the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. He says, pay close attention to your life. Life is, is the same word translated soul. Again, it's back and forth. Depending on the context, you pay close attention to your soul and your teaching, and your doctrine. So pay close attention to your doctrine. That's important for all the preachers to pay attention to their doctrine. But before you pay attention to your doctrine, you need to pay attention to your soul. He says, pay close attention to your life. Persevere in these things, for in doing so, you save not only yourself, but also your hearers. Of course, you know, Timothy and Paul, they couldn't save anybody's soul, but they could save people from their stupidity. He's telling Timothy, 
You know, don't be another train wreck. Pay, pay close attention to your life. You want to lead your home in your ministry, whether you're a volunteer in ministry or paid in ministry, whether you're a pastor, a deacon, a teacher, or you're on a committee, whatever responsibility you have, you're helping and serving, then you want to lead your ministry, you want to lead your home, you've got to lead yourself first. You've got to lead yourself first. What does that look like? One translation says, watch your life and doctrine. The other says, keep a close watch on yourself. Honestly, I, 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 the, the, best, the best way I can explain how to, how to lead your life well is, is by telling you there's no mystery to this. One of the best reminders, I was reading an article about the top three-point shooter in the NBA of all time. Gives great advice on this. So does anybody want to guess who the top three-point shooter in the NBA of all time is? I heard a noise, but not a name. I don't care where you are. What name did you say? Reggie Miller is an awesome guess. He's number two, though. Awesome guess. Steve Kerr is another awesome guess. And he's, but he's number three, and Ray Allen is number one. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. All right, you got the trifecta right there, backwards, but you got there eventually. So yeah, Stephen Kerr is eventually uh, going to be number one, but he's number three right now. Reggie Miller, number two, and with, and, um, with almost 2,003 points, Ray Allen, he retired a couple of years ago, 2016. And uh, he's got a couple of big rings for his finger and 10 all-star appearances. But he, he said, you know, the, the secret to success in the NBA. This is the top three-point shooter, one of the best players. Ray Allen said this. The secret to success in the NBA is that there are no secrets. He said it's just boring old habits. Here in a few minutes, you're not going to remember my name. Even though it is a fun name, it's a bit, dance is a false promise in this case. And, um, but, but remember this, if anybody walks on this stage, whether it's from the Oklahoma Baptist or anywhere else, or Owen or anyone gets on here and says something new, it's probably not true. But if it's true, it's probably not new. So you know what the secret is to soul care, to paying close attention to your soul? You already know the answer to this. You devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word. Remember when, that, when the very first Christian church in history stopped growing, it was in Acts chapter 6, in, in chapter 5, the, the church, of course, after Pentecost, things were going great, people getting saved, people getting baptized, people getting discipled, and the whole thing stopped. Why? Because pastors stopped paying close attention to their life. Doctrine was good. But their life wasn't. They got overwhelmed. And then that's when God sent that Calvary called deacons and said, why don't you stop doing it by yourself? Become an equipper, not an enabler, and start giving away ministry. When your pastors start giving away ministry, I want you to know they're doing exactly what God told them to do. But God also told us to put the oxygen mask on before we help those around us. Like I heard, Janet and I heard twice yesterday in two different airplanes. In, in every airplane you get on, they're going to say that before. If the oxygen mask comes down and, and cabin pressure changes, don't try to help 
everyone first. Help yourself first. I know that's counterintuitive. You want to help people, and you'll overspend sometimes if you don't pay attention to yourself. And, and this, this, even saying this sounds, sounds a little bit self-serving, but se self-care is strategic. It's not selfish. And so leaders often get overwhelmed, and then they get upside down, and they're passed out, and they can't help anybody. There are no secrets. There are no shortcuts to soul care. Every day, you need to devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the Word. In, in Revelation, it says in Revelation chapter 3, if you forsake your first love, and I'm talking to Christians here who have allowed erosion to creep into your walk with the Lord, and somehow you just kind of stopped walking with God in private. He says that if you forsake your first love, what, what does it say to do? To repent, to turn around and do what you did at first. And so for, since many of us came to Christ when we were children and teenagers, when we learned how to walk with God and we learned how to pray and read the Scripture, you just go back and do what you did when you got saved. You pray, you read the Word, and you start growing again. I'm talking to people right here. Some of you have been members of this church for many, many years, but you stopped growing. You didn't mean to stop growing. You're still serving. In fact, maybe you're serving more than ever, but your love for God's not growing. And I'm saying put the oxygen mask on because paying close attention to yourself, leading yourself precedes your ability to lead your home or your ministry, or at your job. If you're with me, say amen. All right? So if not, I can cover point one again before we go to point two. But, but anyway, say amen if you're with me. Amen. That means move on. I like that. All right. So, so pay close to yourself comes before the second thing that Paul tells Timothy. Pay close attention to your spouse. Pay close attention to your spouse. Which oddly... We're getting marriage advice from a single guy. I understand that. But this is God's work. This isn't just about Paul. Paul probably had a hard time getting a second date, though. You think about it. You think about it. If you understand Paul's writing, you think about Paul on his first date. He, takes some, he picks some girl up, you know, and I don't know if they're walking. He says, this, this, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to church because I'm the Apostle Paul, you know. I don't know if he said it just like that, but he was a pretty straight shooter. He said, we're going to go to church, but, I, but I gotta, we need to talk about your makeup. We need to talk about your hair, and we need to talk about your jewelry. All right? Now, read 1 Corinthians if you're not sure that conversation's going on. And no, it gets worse than that, because when you get there, you, you, you can't talk. All right? Because we, we need women to keep silent in church. So Paul didn't have a lot of second dates, but he has some great advice for those of us who got married. And he's saying... In, in Ephesians 5, in particular, we need, to, we need to treat our wives like Christ treats. We need to love our wives like Christ loved the church. We need to put them first. We need to put them first. There's a pecking order in God's word for all of us. And we, we intuitively know that it's true. But... In the pecking order, the first love is Jesus. So if you've not become a follower of Christ, here's the deal. 
It's, it's covered in the Old Testament news. There's only one gospel story from Genesis to Revelation. And he says, I'm going to be first. No graven images, no other gods. I compete with no one. I'm first. I'm the, and that's why we call him, or he calls himself the first love. So if you lose your first love, Ephesians says, then, or forsake your first love. That's Jesus. Second is your spouse if you're married. So that's the second and most important covenant in your life if you're married. So God made it easy for me to remember Jesus is first, Janet is second. Jesus, Janet, Jesus is second. And if either one of those are upset with me, my world is upside down. And if my world's upside down, I'm not going to help turn the rest of the world upside down for, for the gospel. And neither are you. And you can make a lot of money. You can influence a lot of people. And no one's impressed. If your first love and your second love are not, Connected. And erosion sets in so quickly on marriage. But in, 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 uh, in the last five years, getting to serve pastors and in the, in the 27 years before that, serving churches, I've never seen an exception to the fact that, that healthy pastors, that healthy churches are led by healthy pastors. Not perfect churches, not perfect pastors, but you can gauge the health of a church and the health health of the pastors, and so I want, you, I want to encourage you, I'm talking to the non-pastors here, those of you that, you, you that want a healthy church, then you need to cheer your pastors on when they're dating their spouses. You need, to, you need to encourage that. There are a lot of places where that's not encouraged. Everybody wants their pastor to have a healthy marriage, but, but then when they see them on a date, they want to go up and say hey to them. They want to talk to them. They want to engage them. This is my pastor. Hey, if you see your, any of your pastors on a date, it's okay to wave at them, but just leave them alone, all right? Just leave them alone. Or some of you know them better because you've got a bunch of young pastors. I'm going to assume that they might need some help with child care. Now, that's a very, very careful, closed group of, of volunteers there, but you know who you are. If you're an adopted church grandparent, then, you know, or give them, you know, if you're not going to do, give them a gift card. Say, listen, have a date. Whenever you, whenever you pay close attention to your spouse, you, your, your marriage has a direct connection to your ministry. And again, I'm not, just, I'm not talking to pastors. I'm not just talking to deacons. Although, definitely, we're talking to pastors and deacons. They are under the same exact job description, but with the exception of teaching only. But to manage or lead your home, there's a pecking order. And here's the deal. If I ever get one in front of the other, then I have to change that something in my life. I have to, if I'm mismanaging, I need to remanage better. So there have been times in my life, in the last 32 years of marriage and three years of dating before that, when Janet became to me more important than Jesus. When spending time with Janet was more important. And so I had to demote her. You ever demoted your spouse? Do it carefully. Okay, do it carefully. But, but, but Jesus is your first love. And so then, you know, then your, your relationship, we're going to talk more about this this evening, a lot more about this this evening. But when you're, if you're wondering if you're paying close enough attention to your spouse, you basically, all you got to do is just look, Look at your bank statement and look at your calendar and then re-engage and ask. Just ask. 
It's not, it's not that difficult. It is courageous. But, but just ask your spouse, how are we doing? I coached a handful of pastors in Nashville. We just moved here from Nashville. And one of them was my pastor. He had, they all asked, different ones asked me to, to meet with them and just kind of cheer them on. It, w- it wasn't a formal paid thing. And my pastor, I, I use this with his permission, his name's Robbie Gallaty. And he's, he's about 10 years younger than me, so he's still got little kids at home. We're empty nesters. And I, so the first homework I gave him, if you want to know how to pay close attention to your spouse, this is just an example of how to do it. I, I texted him, I said, Robbie, go home every day this week and ask your wife, ask Candy how her day was. Now, he's, he's such an overachiever. You can, I could just almost see him writing this down. How is your day? You know, just ask him, or how you doing? How was your day? Don't overthink this. But here's the hard part. Shut up for 10 minutes. Now, you, you know, people that speak well have a hard time listening, all right, in general. So, guys, this is, this is gold for you, and this will last for the rest of your marriage. At, go, in the first conversation, you need to be with Jesus every day. Which works good because Janet doesn't want to talk to me or anybody first thing in the morning. Only Jesus wants to talk to me in the morning. But my second, my second conversation with Janet is usually just that simple, and I just need to listen. And so at the end of the week, I, I texted him. I said, Robbie, how'd it go? He said that was harder than I thought it'd be. Because I wouldn't let, him inter- let his kids interrupt her, not let him. Just listen for every day. How was your day? And listen. Do it for one week. He said, it was a lot harder than I thought. He said, but I did it for 15 minutes. He was so proud of himself. <laughs> Again, no secrets, no shortcuts. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? You need to listen through prayer and the reading of his word. You want to grow in your relationship with your spouse? Just become a better listener to each other. A better listener. That means when people try to cut in line, you demote them because they will. You're having a conversation with your your spouse and somebody calls, somebody texts, somebody comes by, kids try to interrupt, you demote them. Not that you don't want to talk to them or that you're not going to, but that they have to wait because there's a pecking order. There's a first and there's a second. There's a king and there's a queen. And no one, no one should be put in front of them. And then Peter chimes in here. Now, Paul's an unlikely source of marriage advice. I think Peter might also qualify. Peter wasn't a fantastic listener early in his ministry, right? He was known for that. He was known for just jumping in and talking. But he's the one who God uses to say, love your spouse in an, love your wives. Guys, love your wives in an understanding way. This is 1 Peter 3, 7. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? That your conversation with your spouse affects the conversation with the Lord. Your top two covenants and top two pro- uh, priorities right there are all grow on the tracks of listening. So listen, understand your spouse. Listen to your spouse, Peter says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And then tonight, for those of you who come... And if you didn't sign up, you know, the pastors, I think, you know, for 20 bucks, uh, if you slip them a 20, they'll let you in. If you slip them a 50, they'll let you on the, on the back row, which is where the best seats are. But I'm not sure exactly it goes like that. I just made that up. But anyway, 
What we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about leaving and cleaving. And cleaving, cleaving and leaving are important, but cleave means to pursue hard. Which is exactly what I did the first three years when I was dating Janet. I pursued her hard. We were in college together in Central Texas at Howard Payne University. And so the key to the last 32 years of marriage growth is still the same, which is to pursue hard. Pursuing her in our 50s is just as important as pursuing her in our 20s. And then finally, I think if you want to manage your home well, you want to lead your home, you want to win at work and home, uh, you, you know, pay careful attention to your life, he says. Pay careful attention to your spouse, close attention to your spouse. But then, and then the obvious next people in your priority list, pay close attention to your family. Now, the reason I say family is because those, I love, one thing I love about your church is that you have five generations. This is a five-generation church, and you can see that when you come in. You can see it when you walk in to your beautiful lobby. When you come here, you have people that, I mean, five generations is relatively new to history, so it's difficult. It's difficult to communicate because there's people over here that don't want to don't call you back, you know. So you've got message, you've got all kinds of challenges but here's here's the thing that where you apply your priorities differently depending on your stage of life you cannot date your wife with preschoolers in your house the same way you can as an empty nester all right first of all you don't have the money you don't have the energy you don't have the time you, you still date though don't use it don't use your kids as an excuse to stop pursuing your spouse but then there's another stage coming. We're not there yet. Another stage coming when your parents will need more attention than your kids. Her parents now are 89 and almost 87. Her mom and dad, we live in Broken Arrow. They moved to Broken Arrow. They followed us to Nashville. They're retired, obviously, and they're still in good health. My, parent, my mom turned 80 yesterday. My dad's 81. They still live in Tyler. And, and, and they celebrate their 60th anniversary um, on February 13th when we speak to the OSU students. We're going to go to Dallas in a couple of weeks and celebrate their 60th anniversary together. Now, here's what's interesting. Another Oklahoma connection is that my parents were married in Oklahoma and her parents were married in Oklahoma. And our kids live in Arkansas, where I pastored my last church. They're adults. One of our daughters married. Uh, no grandkids yet. But, um, but, but her parents were married in Mid Midwest City. Her dad was in the Air Force. You've heard that story before, hadn't you? All right. So this, they're, back, they're, they're back to Oklahoma, and they're really happy about it. My parents were also married in Oklahoma, in Ardmore, Oklahoma, which is where kids from Dallas who were in trouble went. Yeah, that's my parents. There's some of you going, you know what, this is great for Christian leaders, blah, blah, blah. I'm never going to be a Christian leader. And I've already, if you know all the mistakes I made, you know all the sins I've committed, you go, whatever. I've already, you know, I, I, can, I can probably connect more with T. Boone Pickens than I can with Apostle Paul or whatever. But let me tell you something. My parents are the whatever. My mom's parents were married seven times each. The only child they had was my, my mom. They weren't together long enough to have other kids. 
My grandfather was Jewish. My grandmother was Irish, redhead. They got together and made an explosion called my mom. My mom, had, my mom was pregnant, teenager, when mom and dad eloped, because you couldn't get married at that age in Texas, they eloped up to Ardmore. That's how they started their family in 1960. But as I told you already, they're celebrating their, 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 their 60th anniversary next week. Because they are a picture of what the gospel can do to a marriage. What a gospel can do to a person. What, 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 what Jesus can do to an ugly situation. For those of you that don't have the pedigree uh, or resume that others sitting next to you have, I want you to know there's some people like my mom and my dad out there who, who kept working through. And they, they didn't run from the church when they had family problems. They ran into the church that they both grew up at. And they church loved them. My dad became a Sunday school teacher. My dad became a deacon. They still have eight widows that they take care of in their 80s. They're taking, red, uh, taking care of widows that some of them are their age. My dad's still teaching Sunday school. In fact, he's been a deacon so long, oh, and they gave him a, a medallion for 50 years of being a deacon. And you know what this medallion means? It means that you never have to go to a deacon's meeting again. I said, Dad, I could sell that online for any price you want. Do you know how many pastors or deacons that would do what they do for that medallion? But I love that they were a trophy of grace. And some of you, some of you have a story that only God can change. But God can change any story. Amen? And so I want you to bow right here. Bow your head and close your eyes. But please open your heart. Because if, if the Holy Spirit used this message... To help you pay attention. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your kids that need more attention. And I'm not telling you not to be a success at work or at church. I'm just saying that God's, God expects us to pay attention to our lives and our love for Him first. To pay attention to our spouse. Pay attention to our kids and parents and not let anyone ahead of another. Because these priorities are not easy to keep. But everyone here has blown it multiple times in these areas. I'm not talking about time management. I'm talking about relationship management. And we've blown it. We are now in Emmaus Baptist Church, a grace zone. This is a place where we turn to Christ for help. This is where we turn to the body of Christ for strength. We need each other. We need Jesus. And so if you're feeling the guilt that my parents felt when they drove to Ardmore to get married in 1960, I'm imploring you to, to, turn, to let Jesus turn that guilt into grace right now. Ask for his forgiveness. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Turn to Jesus if you've never done that before. Do it today. Turn to him. He can and wants to forgive you and save you from sin and death.
And because of his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, we can live forever. There are going to be pastors up here to talk to you either during an invitation or after church. Happy to help you take those first steps. Others just need to, 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 to repent and turn, return, return to Christ. Not to get saved again, but to recalibrate God's priorities with yours. Would you now tell him you're sorry? Confess means to agree, to say the same thing. I agree with your priorities. Mine are off. But I return to my first love. Help me to return to my commitment to my wife or my husband, my children, my parents. Help me to get my relationships in order. Maybe you, you, your relationship's out of order with, with somebody in church. Maybe you need a church family and you want to join this wonderful flagship church. They will love you and take care of you if you let them. Father, in Jesus' name, we commit this time of commitments to you and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. 